Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforce technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforce technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Welcome, everybody, to the Command Show. Uh, We're excited today to have a special, special guest, a dear friend of mine, mentor from many, many, many years ago, uh, Battalion Chief Mark Brunton from Cal Fire. Uh, He's here to talk with us today about the Wildland Urban Interface, or WUI. For uh, those of you on the East Coast, it's WUI. You guys don't know what a WUI is if if you bitch in the butt, but I think I I saw grass one time uh, when I was in uh, New York City. Well, you know, if, if... if Central Park started burning, you guys would, this would be relevant for the FDNY guys listening. But anyway, um, you know, it's, it's today's or, or this month's insert, I should say, for June of 2023 is, is WUI, Wild Interface. And it's not just California, even though we joke that it is. It's, it's a, throughout the United States now. And um, Chief Brunton, I think I first met you, um, gosh darn it, I'm going to say in 1993, maybe, or... Sounds about right. Um, yeah. Before I think you were a captain at uh, Cameron Park Fire before it became Cal Fire, if I, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So um, he has always been a uh, mover shaker and somebody who's been very much engaged and passionate about the job, and so we're very honored to have him. And Chief Brush, uh, our my co-host, is here with us today. Good uh, good afternoon, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I finally got my uh, FDIC submission in about five minutes ago. It's due tomorrow, so uh, <laughs> yes. uh, putting some stuff off, but uh, excited about all we have going with the uh, you know submitting for those and, and getting to review those submissions here coming up and getting our book in. And there's it's just a a very exciting time uh, in the fire engineering family and, and in our group. So. It sure is. And uh, to that point, uh, thank you, Chief Brush, for all the hard work and help and inspiration with this book. Um, we are we are indeed in the throes of uh, finishing up our manuscript for Mastering Fireground Command Calm the Chaos. It is going to come out, God willing, at FDIC 2024 in April next year. And uh, we're feverishly trying to meet our deadline so we can meet that timeline. So uh, we're hoping it's going to happen. Within that book is uh, over 30 amazing contributions from fellow um, academics, if you will, students of this of this job, uh, incident commanders from all over the United States, including FDNY, uh, L.A. City, Miami and everywhere else, including our friend Chief Brunton from Cal Fire, who who contributed to us and a wonderful piece on a fire that he uh he was at uh, several years ago. 
But um, I'm going to just turn it over to him as soon as we can. We'll ask him some questions. But um, for those of you who don't know what the Wildland Urban Interface is and what CAL FIRE is, I think I want to give Chief Brunton a chance to kind of explain what his fire department is, what it's about, because uh, we're talking to a, a national and even international audience here. So maybe, Chief Brunton, you could tell everybody about CAL FIRE um, and, and kind of how it works and what happens about this time of year with everybody and then what you guys are doing about the Wildland Ur Urban Interface coming up here. Certainly. Uh, so CAL FIRE is a, a really unique uh, agency. Um, it's a state agency, uh, state of California, obviously. And uh, it is just, we have just, um, to my FDNY uh, brothers and sisters, uh, we've just exceeded you uh, as the largest fire department in the United States uh, due to a lot of the growth in our, our agency uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, so we're over somewhere around 11,500 personnel. Uh, line personnel uh, in our agency. So we have the entire state of California. It's a really unique uh, relationship because we have municipalities uh, and so forth that we interact with. Um, our original primary core mission is under the uh, Public Resources Code, which is government code, is the responsibility and jurisdictional authority for all wildland fires on state uh, and private lands. So uh, that makes it kind of unique there. And then, but we do interface and work directly with a variety of uh, cities, counties, uh, fire districts, and so forth. Um, also, we're an all-risk agency. We uh, have had, since the 40s, uh, what we call cooperative fire protection agreements in which we provide services to municipalities, whether it be a county, city, fire district, or so forth, to do that mission for them. And so they contract with CAL FIRE to provide that uh, uh, that service. So uh, we wear many hats, uh, kind of uh, jack-of-all-trades, if you will, uh, but our our core mission still is the the wildland mission uh, in the state of California. Uh, over the years, um, become you know preeminent authorities on it just because we get a lot of practice at it. Just like any other agency, and your uh, your target has and so forth. You do enough of it, um, you get very good at it. And so our agency, because we have these fires uh, multiple times throughout the the, the fire season, and then uh, it's our fire season's grown. People call it global uh, climate change, whatever it may be. I, I don't know. There's there's been a change. I've been doing uh, in the fire service for 35 years, and I've got to say, probably within the past oh eight years, we've seen such intense fires and large scale devastating fires uh, in the in the state that we've never seen before. So um, it's kept us very active. Uh, we've learned a lot of lessons and continue to evolve and develop in this arena. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's been pretty crazy and and uh, and we've been rising to the occasion. But I'm sure folks, no matter where you're at, every fire season during the summer, uh, you see the, the large devastating fires in, in the Western United States and in particular California. Uh, that's what we face. That's the challenge we've been facing, uh, you know, for the past number of years. Um, and and so we're uh, we're developing and changing our tactics and how we do things and, and prevention and 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 again the expansion of our agency because of the need. Uh, based on these these incidents. Uh, so that's kind of just a general overview of what we do in CAL FIRE and, and what our, our core mission is. Outstanding. Thank you. Um, you know, out here in California, CAL FIRE is, is everywhere, literally. And it's commonplace to see them um, not only in fire season, but throughout the, throughout the year because you guys have what are called Schedule A companies that are that are basically a, a typical urban firehouse with a Type 1 engine, just like any other jurisdiction would have. These are usually fire districts that contract with CAL FIRE. Is that correct? 
That's correct. Uh, it's fire districts, cities, counties. Um, our largest cooperative agreement is Riverside County in Southern California, where Cal Fire is the county fire department. They have well over 100 stations in, in that, that contract alone. Uh, like I said, run type one engines, uh, ladder trucks, full truck companies, medic units, um, you know, water rescue programs, hazmat teams, you name it. Uh, somewhere along the way we dabble in it. And, um, and then, uh, also kind of a, a crossover intermix is our, our air program. Uh, we have right. a very robust air program and some of that crosses not only the wildland aspect, but especially our copter program, uh, doing uh, aerial rescue, um, services with that program as well. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned. I was literally just going to ask you about the air ops, um, Brian. I can see you squirming and smiling because I know you love this stuff. Uh, any comments, questions? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm excited to have the chief on. I I'm a Cal Fire alum myself. Uh, well, it was California Department of Forestry at the time. Uh, the seasons of '98, '99, and 2000 up in the Sonoma Lake Napa unit. So, um, born and raised That's where I started. Yeah, <laughs> nice. So I was born yeah, sort of Glen Ellen Station. No kidding. I was at uh, Hilton, so it was a yeah. good time. Yeah. It used to be slow Noma, but um, since then it's gotten <laughs> a little busier. So, um, yeah, I you know it it's kind of neat because you know being brought up in that and being a young kid traveling the state, going to these fires and and knowing how things moved around and scaled up. It was just it was all I knew, and then to relocate to Oklahoma and and Colorado and then back to Oklahoma. Um, it's, it's great to have you on because I think there's some things that we take for granted in the California fire service that is, is, is not known throughout the country as far as ways to build efficiency and scale up and scale down. And, uh, it's, it's, it's just a tried and true system out there out West. And, uh, I'm excited to have you on to, to kind of share that with a bigger audience. Fantastic. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Your pedigree, the Cal Fire <laughs> beginnings. We're, we're um, everywhere. You, you guys was, are, man. You're everywhere. I was green, you're everywhere. Green jeans and khaki tops. We looked more like sheriffs yep. than we did uh, firefighters, but that's since <laughs> that's improved. Right. So, yeah, that's improved a lot. Of the blue, yeah, yeah. That blue uniform. So, when you tech, chief, when you mentioned the eleven thousand five hundred line personnel, does that include seasonals or is that full time? That does include seasonals, um, but a vast majority of that number are permanent personnel. Um, although our seasonal force is starting to grow because of our uh, the change of our, our fire crew, a hand crew program, uh, which was traditionally been staffed uh, through a cooperative agreement with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. We utilize uh, um, inmate firefighters. Uh, due to some legislation over the past few years, uh, that, that uh, pool of, of personnel have reduced greatly. Uh, due to diversion programs back to the county, so forth. So uh, that program has had to scale back, and that that's something we rely on very heavily uh, in our wildland firefighting. It, it took a tool out of the toolbox for quite a while. The way we remedied it was to uh, to look at uh, cooperative agreements with the California National Guard to utilize some of their personnel for the crews, uh, fully trained up as a Type One crew, California Conservation Corps. But that that pool is only so big as well. So we had to expand, and although it is more expensive. Uh, it pays off dividends, and so we have um, our seasonal firefighters we've created into crews. It's something that was dabbled with for a long time, but due to the, the expenses, it was kind of cost prohibitive. Now we just kind of forced the hand, and we just had to kind of swallow the, you know, take the bullet and just and, and do that. Uh, but it's turned into a fantastic program. It's been around now for about three years. It's expanding. So that's been another way that we've expanded the numbers of our personnel. So. We still have a fair number of, of seasonal firefighters, but we've also, our, our department has gone 
Fourth is uh, to expand our roles with our pers permit personnel. So that's that's also part of the big number. You know, what's what's great about CAL FIRE, and you mentioned it at the beginning, is all risk. And, you know, right now, people hear all risk, they, they can know what it means uh, for the most part. So a fire department in the middle of America will say, hey, we're an all risk agency. But CAL FIRE really has perfected the notion of all risk and in, in on a massive scale. Um, so, you know, when, like, like when Brian was coming up, you know, I'm sure the notion of being on a tiller truck or whatever was, was, you know, not quite the commonplace, but, you know, Cal Fire does span that whole spectrum of the urban environment, uh, the vegetation, wildland environment, the air ops, the, the ground ops, water rescue, urban search and rescue. Um, and you guys can, you know, you guys can run a house fire. You can run a 500,000 acre, you know, fire with 500 homes burning and, and scale. And that's one of the things that we talk about in our book is the use of ICS on everything. And, um, for Cal fire, that's, you know, that's, that's just, that's just the way you're raised. That's all, you know. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, how you develop your officers, what the culture is of the incident command system, um, as it pertains particularly to, to structure fires. Yeah, certainly. Uh, this command system is everything that, uh, you know, obviously started in California in the 1970s uh, because and that was due to large uh, devastating wildland fires, in particular in Southern California. Uh, talking wooey, they, they were having a lot of fires like the Bel Air fire and so forth that uh, departments didn't have any sort of organized form or fashion to run an incident per se, especially with other agencies what may have worked internally for them and how they ran it worked for them. But when you started integrating other agencies, there really wasn't a common way to uh, communicate. There wasn't a good common way to, to run and, and organize. So through that uh, organization called Firescope uh, was created and they created ICS as we know today. And it's, it's evolved um, and, and it's gotten even better. It's, it's our basic bread and butter tool. We use it all the time, Cal Fire, because of how busy we are and especially in the wildland uh, elements. It's a very useful tool for us, and we're very, very comfortable with it. So you start as, as, uh, as Chief said, you know, when you started as a seasonal firefighter, that that was ingrained into you right off the bat. Uh, you learned that terminology, you learned how that organizational structure works. So we raise our, our young all the way up as they get into becoming uh, permanent firefighters and then company officers. Uh, that that's how we how we do business. And so we do a lot of training on that. Obviously, we use it on a daily basis on any of our types of incidents. Um, and it, because it is scalable, it, we can use it on, you know, a single traffic accident all the way up to, like you said, a 500,000 acre uh, wildland fire with lots of complexity to it. So um, we do a lot of training, obviously, in it and, and our company officers as we develop them. And we have uh, great development programs to create our company officers, a full on academy, centralized statewide academy that they go through when they become a company officer. And then on the local uh, level. Uh, our department is, you know, a large department, so it's broken into 21 administrative units, which can be a group or, or a county itself, um, and, and has a structure there. And so when they go back to that, each individual unit also has additional advanced training uh, to develop their company officers on everything, skill sets and so forth. But to the core function of it, it all comes around ICS and using that as a tool. Outstanding. Love it. What I what I also remember, too, is... Uh, you know, you talk about 11,000 uh, members, but I mean, you're, you're also responsible for over 150 square miles, 150,000 square miles of, uh, of jurisdiction. So, uh, you know, aside from response to incidents, 
I mean, we would travel sometimes eight to 10 hours and then be assigned station coverage, you know, so we would be working out of a out of a firehouse that would be eight to 10 hours away from our initial firehouse. And to be honest with you, nothing changed. You know, the sink was the same. The dishwashing procedure was the same. The uh, checkout was the same. The uh, a lot of times the floor plan was the same. I think, you know, it seemed like CDF had like 10 station floor plans. So you would go somewhere and it'd be pretty much identical. But I guess what I'm getting at is that the uh, the consistency and the standards and the expectations in the organization uh, top to bottom uh, led to a lot of that uh, scalability and also just interoperability. You know, you, you would you would be all over the state, but you're kind of all working from the same sheet of music. And that's that's really a, a, a strength of the CAL FIRE system. No, certainly. And, and it is, it's, it's, it's an army. It, it's uh, just like our, our U S military. I mean, there's, we have common standards. We have, um, you know, like all the way down to common floor plans on our stations uh, for the most part procedures. And, and that's just developed over, over time. And, and it's ingrained in our personnel. Um, you know, I mean, even down to our, our meal times. Uh, so, you know, like, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it's, it's, it's at, uh, a friend of mine came up with a good saying. It's uh, our department was for, formed in 1885, so it's a uh, seven noon and, and five since 1885. That's your meal times. I mean, that's just how that <laughs> whether you're in the northern part of the state or the southern part of the state. It, it's kind of funny. It's gone to that that kind of level, but it, that's part of the culture of the organization, and and that is how we're successful. And if we do have nuances and differences in each unit you work in and so forth, but for the most part, there is a core foundation of of all those things that. That makes it successful. Just like you mentioned, we, yeah, one day, you know, you start your day at your home unit, home station, and by the end of the afternoon, you're eight hours away in Southern California covering another station. And, and it, it is what it is, and but it keeps the consistency there. And then, Chief, you know, it's kind of interesting that you bring up the FDNY because, I mean, I, I love uh, – I- love to kind of make the parallel, you know, FDNY probably sends the the greatest amount of resources to, to incidents of, of any municipal department. I mean, probably what the equivalent of a second alarm for most areas is on, on, a, on a residential fire and stuff. But um, CAL FIRE, you know, and now talking about the wild land urban interface, you know, being brought up in, in, in the CAL FIRE system and experiencing a high dispatch day, um, you know, again, just things we took for granted that that the standard response on a high dispatch day was what it was to uh, these incidents. And you talk about that with other people and, and they get that same look as they do when they describe FDNY's response to an apartment building. So um, just again, to put things in perspective, can you give us uh, what a dispatch is to a, a uh, urban interface response on a on a uh, high dispatch day, which high dispatch would be the equivalent of a red flag day in, in most of the country. Yeah, correct. Uh, so our day uh, throughout the, the wildland fire season, um, which used to be maybe six months, it's almost year round nowadays. Uh, it's certainly nine months. So we're kind of on this mode all the time. So the dispatch levels, we have dispatch levels of low, medium, and high, and those are based on science. And what it is is we have weather readings, we have weather stations. Uh, that information is gathered throughout the day. Uh, each unit has its own emergency command center. It's, a, it's not just a dispatch center. Uh, what's unique about that is we have uh, captains that are on the floor, and, and as well as our, our communication operator, which are dispatchers. And so that's what makes it a command center versus a dispatch center. So part of their process is, is they gather that throughout the day and set the dispatch levels. And that changes throughout the day, depending on weather conditions. 
And with that, uh, a dispatch is based on that level. So they're preset dispatches based on if you're low, medium, or high. A high dispatch in each unit, it could be a little bit different. Uh, but typically what that'll get you in, in most places is, is a, a response of two battalion chiefs, uh, anywhere from uh, six to eight engines, type three engines. Uh, you'll have um, uh, probably three hand crews, uh, two dozers. Uh, your aircraft uh, will be typically an air attack officer, which is an air attack plane, uh, two tankers, and a copter. Um, and that's kind of in general uh, what most places will run. Uh, you'll have a local government response along with that. So the county I work in or unit I work in, that'll give you, on top of what I just uh, lined out, an additional probably four different uh, local government engine companies uh, and, and probably a couple water tenders with that. Um, and then another chief officer from, from the local government agency. So we have a very robust response anywhere in the state uh, with those, especially on a high dispatch. And the idea, it's our, it's our department goal is to keep um, 90% of the fires 10 acres or less. And we're pretty good at, at that goal. And the reason is, is we have a very robust response uh, to these incidents. And, and so there's a lot. We throw the kitchen sink at it. And then obviously once you get there and based on the conditions, you can, you can scale that response. Uh, but you can certainly augment it if needed. Uh, and if you augment it, you can just ask for whatever it is you need. Now, it may take you a little longer to get there, depending on what the resource is. But what's good about a department as large as we are and the system in California uh, with local government and so forth, we can throw a lot of, uh, of stuff at, at an incident and, uh, and give us a great chance of success. And I think that that's just such a, a powerful example of that. I mean, when we talk about battalion chiefs in the Cal Fire system, I mean, they are they are essentially a lot of times rolling out the door on on these days as a type four incident management team. You know, I mean, that that is the that is a scale that their incidents begin at. You know, so if, if you're calling for any additional resources, you're, you're really getting into that type three incident very quickly with the mutual aid uh, multi agency. So it's a it's a, a whole nother level when they when people ask about the you know how do these systems get so good at incident command it's it's because you're starting at that tipping point of a type three type four type three incident pretty impressive. No, that, that's correct. I mean, and we start that like young even even our our, our junior company officers and our, and our captains uh, we have high expectations for them to be able to run that incident initial attack. So they're typically the first one there before the chief officer. So they set up the this command system, and it's, it's interesting because they're running their engine company as well as setting up this this incident. Uh, but again, through get a lot of practice, a lot of training, a lot of experience, uh, they get very good at setting up a nice foundation. So by the time the chief officer gets there, um, they've got something that's 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 workable, that's usable, um, something that we don't have to go back as chief officer and undo. Um, and we also do a lot of training with our local government partners so that they help us out because sometimes they're there before the first Cal Fire resource. So it sets up, sets up the success and and uh, and the good working relationship and a unified command structure when we work with them. Um, and and for our chief officers, uh, we have a high demand for our chief officers. I'd say as battalion chiefs at our agency and, and having worked for other local government agencies and and witnessing other government local government agencies throughout the United States, the expectation of our BCs and what they have the authority and ability to do uh, is greater than some departments. Deputy Chief of Operations or Chief of, uh, of the Department has authority to do. Um, we we are we give even our junior company officers to be able to 
spend millions of dollars of, of taxpayer money to mitigate that incident if they're the incident commander and first at scene. And that's in the way of, of ordering more resources and so forth. When you start flying aircraft, very expensive and around very expensive. So um, we start that young and, and with that authority and responsibility. And so we take it very seriously. And, and, our, and it is, it's a type three incident organization. Most typically uh, with some of these, I get into an extended attack incident. Uh, again, with the training and, and the experience of our personnel, um, a lot of our chief officers are even qualified, definitely qualified as a type one ops section chief uh, or as a, a type two ops section chief. Uh, we have our it's six incident management teams in our in our department. Um, I have a Type One Operations Section Chief on uh, IMT three. Been an Ops Section Chief for over twenty three years, and um, and I, you know, teach uh, the, the our course our statewide course when we teach uh, our, our new uh, Operations Section Chiefs, and uh, and that's what always amazes me is that that's our cream of our crop that they get sent to to those courses and then get qualified to get on those teams. Those top notch, and so that translates back when. When we're not in that big type one incident, a type three or type four incident, they're very comfortable being able to to jump in there and take on that role and, and run that incident. You know, the as you're talking, I want to bring our potential listeners up to speed on on incident typing. This is something we're going to talk about in our book. You know, type a type one through five incidents are out there nationally, and a type five would be a, a, a first alarm firehouse fire. Type four would be a multi alarm. A type three would be uh, multi-operational period goes over one 24-hour period and and or involves a lot of other resources, which is what we're talking about here a lot. Type two statewide and type type one is is national level. That's a that's a quick down and dirty version of what type one through five is. Um, what's interesting that you said is is the team the, the expectations of your company officers and your battalion chiefs is very high, and and it's because you set the expectation at an early stage of their career. And they learn it at an early stage. And like you said, they, they come up uh, in the program not knowing any different. And so and then they're trained for those for those responsibilities as they become officers. And that's what that's what I think is tremendously lacking in the American Fire Service. Cal Fire is probably the most militaristic um, uh, as far as a military model fire service version of the military that there is uh, because of the systems and the scope and everything. But a big piece of it is your officer development. And that is really huge because you're right. Um, they show up and we have to, uh, they have to potentially be the incident commander of a large scale incident that's, that's, that's growing, going to clearly be extended attack, call additional resources, call more air resources, spend a lot of money and not worry about being second guessed and being confident in their decision. And then when they pass it on to that first chief, it's seamless. And so that's, that's one of the great things about Cal Fire. And that's why um, I think those of us who are in California, municipal fire departments within California have benefited from that, that the fact that ICS was brought up in the state of California. We, we interact, virtually every fire department in the state interacts with CAL FIRE on some level. Uh, I know at Metro Fire, in, in particular in Battalion 5 and Battalion 14, we would we'd run with CAL FIRE all the time. I ran fires with you guys, meet, you know, automatic or, or mutual threat zone, automatic aid stuff. It was great. And and you have the world coming, you know. And we would combine resources. We had we had a, a copter. You guys had your air resources coming, and it was a blast. Um, so let's let's kind of take this into the wildland urban environment because um, you know that's that's everywhere now. It's not just California; it's rampant around the country. Do you think that's part of why we're seeing, as you mentioned, Chief Brunton, why we're seeing 
such an increase in the volatility and the and the life loss now over the past eight years of these fires is a part of it because the urban sprawl um is it is it you know i'm sure some would say global warming some would say fuel management but um whatever the reason is um how are you guys dealing with it um from years past from say 10 years ago what, what's going on now compared to like 10 years ago Right. So uh, just as you mentioned, that really in in California and really throughout the Western United States and probably throughout the United States, uh, the the growth of of, uh, the sprawl into the wildland arena, uh, we never had that. Even even as of 10 years ago, the growth in California is just insane. And so you have homes built uh, directly into the wildland or intermixed within the wildland area. A lot of people want to move out of the urban areas for a variety of reasons, especially in California, um, and want to get into the foothills, and, and they have the ability to do so because, again, the telecommuting and so forth that a person can, doesn't have to live within that urban area, and they can live in the wild. And the, the unit I work in is in the, the foothills just outside of Sacramento, and a uh, very desirable location for people to live, and the growth is just outrageous that we see. So areas that were pretty much just wildland are now just dotted with homes where you have large communities and, and interface while an urban interface versus just strictly intermixed so that's a that's a huge issue and a, a huge challenge uh, that's again another area our agency expanded uh, just a few years ago into uh, land use planning uh, which is a really unique thing and just to try to find ways to protect or mitigate potential uh, you know these fires where it takes out uh, lots of homes and communities and so forth um, in my career, again, the past few years, as I said, have been crazier than I've ever seen. Um, I was uh, doing some research a couple years ago and, and just realized that of our top 10 most devastating fires in California's history have been in recent years. And ironically, I was either a branch director or an operations section chief uh, on my team or staying wow. for another team on six or seven out of the 10 of those most devastating fires in California's history. And out of the top wow. 20 uh yeah i've been on 12 so it, it's a lot and, and it tells how just how in in a short period of time that's where these devastating fires have come from so it's a huge challenge for us however really it's not necessarily a new thing it was more anomalous um but really one of the largest most devastating uh movie fires funny enough uh was in 1871 the same time as the great chicago fire it was up in peshtigo wisconsin uh, there was like, where's that near Green Bay? And, and so I did a lot of research and I found that uh, there were, they, they didn't even know what the true fatality numbers were because so many people were killed. It was around 1,500 to 2,000 fatalities from that fire. Numerous communities just obliterated, uh, larger than and in, in the most than anything that we've seen um, since then. Um, even places like in Maine, um, the, there was a fire that started in Arcadia National uh, Forest and it wiped out a number of communities in Maine. Again, these are some anomalous weather events, but nonetheless, it's been something that, that we've faced for, for many, many years. But now fast forward to where we are now in California and in the Western United States in general, uh, we're seeing these things just take out communities. For instance, the, the campfire in 2018 just obliterated, which I was on, obliterated a full community. Uh, the mass de- the devastation yeah. was just the craziest thing and one of the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, we need to say goodbye to our friend here. He's got he's got uh, lots of work to do. I do, but I I'm, I mean I, I it's hard to leave because you know I again you talk about this has been a long a part of our history and a, and a national problem because it's been weather dependent. But 
uh, much like structure fires, the the operational tempo has just changed. You know, the 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 climate change has has accelerated the fire spread. You know, and the droughts are longer, so we're in. You know, there's more fuels that is light, flashy fuels than 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 what there used to be. Um, and then we have a greater life threat, you know, with the urban interface, just as we do with with the toxic threat inside structures. So um, it's it's interesting. It's a fire problem that that's becoming more widespread and, and more people are exposed to it uh, throughout the country. Um, and, the, and the operational tempo has to be high. And you guys truly are the leaders in, in being ahead of that operational tempo, as, as Chief Castro talks about being ahead of the incident power curve. You know, that's that has a lot to do with with our approaches to things. So um, as I, it, it, it's nostalgic for me to talk Cal Fire, it's exciting, but also, you know, I, I see it as a growing national fire problem. And I'm excited that we have a, a chapter of the book dedicated to dealing with uh, vegetation fires and, and wildland fires because it's it's something that has been missing from fire ground incident command books because it's been kind of focused on the structural world. But uh, with that, Chief, you know, since you are on here and I have to go, um, but I I did want to talk about either through Chief Castro or yourself about the importance of, of setting up divisions and groups early, um, especially divisions in, in the, the approach, the West Coast approach to setting up divisions um, versus a North flank or a West flank in, in the, the directional uh, flanks as far as terminology. That's something that is still hanging around in a lot of the country, but um, it, it really challenges the incident commander and just the structure as the incident grows in, in irregular shapes. So um, that, that's just kind of one key point I think I think could be shared in, in alphabet division assignments um, for the rest of the country, especially early on in the incident uh, uh, when you have areas that could be acres and acres of just vegetation and then getting into stretches where you do have neighborhoods. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we, um, we, we definitely uh, set, try to set up divisions early, even on our small initial attack. And if nothing else, one, it provides for, if that does expand, then it, we're, we're ahead of the power curve. If, if not, it just is more reinforcement and, and uh, more reps uh, that our guys get in, uh, in their head as far as being comfortable setting up divisions. Um, even if it ends up being just a, you know, 10 acre, initial attack fired uh, nothing fire it just gets them into that practice because it is so important um yeah i know nationally there's some they, they you know they use cardinal directions and so forth we found that that tends to be very confusing that way so we just set up the divisions uh, right off the bat uh, we we have a naming uh, basically starting on your left flank and working from the, from the origin working clockwise alphabetical uh starting you know sometimes you go from you know we traditional alpha on, on the left flank at the, you know, and the right flank is Zulu. However, we're training our folks that, Hey, with all these fires, sometimes it does certain things and we call button hooks around you. And pretty soon, uh, Oh, Oh, wow. Well, how do we name that? Because, you know, we kind of close ourselves off. So we're, we're trying to, you know, Hey, instead of, uh, maybe we start off with a division, Charlie and a, and a Yankee. And that way you can expand backwards if it, you know, hooks around you. So, uh, very useful tool and we, we do it very often and early and, and, it, and it, everybody understands it because everybody is on the same sheet of music no matter, you know, even if you're from a, an agency in California that doesn't do a lot of wildland firefighting, that you understand ICS, you've been trained in ICS, so you understand that in, in, when you show up and you're, hey, you're signed to Division Alpha, you know you're going to the left flank and, and starting there. So it, it's very, very helpful uh, tool for us. And 
And then as the, these incidents have gotten massive, we've actually kind of strayed away as, as parochial as a lot of us are with ICS, but we've had to get creative on, on how we name these large fires, like for instance, on the, the Dixie fire that I was on, um, because of some other previous large fires, uh, we had to do where we, we were zoning the fire. Um, so you'd have an east zone and a west zone or north zone and south zone. And then within that, creating uh, your your branches and divisions and so forth. And sometimes you have to get as creative as um, where you have to use double lettering uh, of your, you know, so there'd be a division Bravo Bravo because you've kind of <laughs> run out of the alphabet because this thing has been so large. And to keep your span of control and keep your divisions that are manageable, you've had to get a little creative that way. So it's kind of mind blowing for folks that aren't used to it and they see that. And we, we've had that where folks come uh, from out of state to our incidents and they're like, what's this division Yankee Yankee? What the heck is that? You know? And, but once they kind of see it and understand it, they, it, it makes some sense. But uh, when you talk conceptually, it, it blows some people's minds. Yeah. We, we actually, uh, in our, in our book, we only, the, the scope of the book is the type four and type five level. So vast majority of the book structural firefighting, but, but we do talk about wildland. We talk about hazmat MCI unified command. And we really we go up right up to that four to three threshold. Mm -hmm. And so what we're what we're teaching is is you know how we want to put a box around the fire control objectives. Yeah. We do left flank is Bravo, Oscar's the head, and then X ray is the right flank to put to literally put a box around it. <laughs> and it just kinda help people remember what your objective is and where you're going with it. So little stuff like that is is fun. Don't you have That's to great. go? I know. I'm so excited. So thank you guys. I know. You can't leave. <laughs> we will continue this conversation uh, another day. I appreciate you guys very much. We'll see you soon. So we're literally talking about, for those of you just joining us, which you probably have been watching, since this is going to be recorded. Um, I don't have to say that anymore because we're not live. But, um, you know, we're talking about the wildland urban interface. And so the big the big thing, Chief Brunton, and I know, I know you know this better than I do, is as you go around the country and even even within California, um, there's still a lot of disparity on how the usage of the incident command system, the the understanding of it. People will still call a roof roof group, you know, or a fire attack division, you know, little stuff like that. For you and me, it's like nails on a chalkboard. But but um, there's also there's also what I see at least. We, we've been blessed to teach lots of departments around the country, um, all kinds of sizes and scopes and types, and there's like three categories. There's those that, that don't use ICS at all. There's those that, that use it, but they, they, they apply it probably not as it was intended. And so they, they don't have good experience with it. For example, they'll set up operations on a house fire, for example, um, right. that kind of stuff. And so, so they'll say to you, you know, why would I need to use ICS? If I make operations, what's the IC going to do? Well, you don't need to make operations. How about just a division, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, and, you, and, and then you even talk to the, the, some of the ICS purists I've talked to in years past who are like, well, you know, I've been a division supervisor on a type three incident with, or type one or two incident with, you know, all these miles of fire line. And why do I need to have a division on a house? Well, it's because a house is a very different animal than a, than a, you know, hundred acre fire or more. And so we did an article a few years ago about the difference between wildland and structural ICS and it's yeah it's the same toolbox but there it's like the difference between pulling a, in a Ferrari and a Yugo into the garage it's the same toolbox but you're going to work on these two cars or two incidents very differently so the the wooey is literally the blending of the two I mean literally have structures and wildland at the same time and so it's it's to me it's a fascinating uh 
topic to really talk about ICS nuances and so forth. Um, and, and so, um, like one, for example, one of the things we talk about is, um, you know, in the old days, at least, um, when I say old days, um, nineties, early two thousands, we would often use structure protection group would be, would be right. something you would hear. And then we realized, well, maybe we just need to have divisions because each division may or may not have structures. And one structure protection group supervisor can't, can't supervise structures that might be miles and miles away. So having that one group soup, you know, what might work on a, on a structure fire, medical group soup, Rick group soup, well, structure protection group soup on a, you know, 10,000 acre fire is probably not going to work very well. So those, those nuances are what we're, what we're talking about. Any thoughts on that? Yes, certainly. So yeah, that was very common as you, as you noted, uh, the structure group in particular, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Wanted to hit that. So our department went through um, kind of a revamp of this, of our entire movie program. Um, it hadn't had seen any sort of um, change for many years. And um, funny enough, uh, a number of years ago, when I went through the Executive Fire Officer Program, National Fire Academy, one of my applied research papers was on the need to probably take a look at and revamp how we do our, our structure defense, structure uh, I zone back then, it was called. And not that I had the answer to it, but it, it did raise a, a question. And, and things it was things that was being talked about uh, in our agency. So Fast forward a number of years, and uh, there was a collective group of, of uh, some of the best and brightest minds in our, our uh, agency. Me not being one of them, I wasn't on that committee. <laughs> but uh, they uh, no, they they did. They they revamped our entire WUI program and, and how we look at it. And and uh, I think a lot of it was good. One of the big things that came up with was just the point about the structure group. And uh, what we were finding with structure groups was that you would put people in the structure defense or structure groups. And they would basically go and sit at a structure. So you'd have engines all over at these structures and so forth. And what the fire was still burning and, and nobody's taking care of perimeter control. Well, if the fire goes out, there's no more structure threat. And so we, that's the problem with, with the structure group. It put people in a, in a different mindset. So one of the big things, and this was like pulling teeth and changing oh, culture and mindsets, not only for Cal fire, I mean, probably the worst of Cal fire, but also our local government partners are, um, was that, uh, Hey, you're assigned a division as a division supervisor. You are responsible for not only the perimeter control wildland element of it, but any of the WUI effects, any of the structure defense elements of that. That's all under your, your uh, umbrella. So uh, now sometimes that was very challenging for a variety of reasons, the amount of structures, the fire intensity, all that stuff. So as the commander, you'd have to just be careful not to exceed somebody's span of control or, or ability set. So um, but I, as time's gone on, I, I've seen it uh, work very well. And there's been some times when we've reverted back to the structure group element in very specific um, circumstances uh, that made it work uh, because one of the reasons probably was because of just overwhelming the division suit because of the amount of structures in there and all the other complexities that that individual is overseeing. So we still interchange it. It's, it's not completely dead, but we have found that really the best thing is, is to not go down that road of structure groups and so forth. Our federal uh, counterparts and partners, they, they still, because that really isn't their, their thing of uh, the structure of defense. Right. Um, so they're not really comfortable with that. And they still utilize that quite a bit. So for those folks throughout the country say, well, Hey, I, I go to these fires, you know, and, and they still use structure groups. What are you talking about? And it's just because I, they're just, they haven't embraced it yet. And they're just not as comfortable with that yet. Um, but I think it's one of those things that, Hey, once you try it out, you'll you'll see the benefits it really is yeah. beneficial to do it the way we do it now 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. I suspected we were. Um, yeah, it's one of those things from experience, like you said. I mean, it was it was one of those deals where even at Metro Fire, where I came from, even in Battalion 9 or Battalion 14, you'd have, you know, a couple thousand acre fire. Well, there's two neighborhoods that are really far apart. and You're not going to be having one structure protection group soup taking care of both. And so out of necessity, you find these nuances on how to apply ICS. You know, what are the nuances between the wildland or vegetation arena versus the structural arena? What are the nuances in a commercial building versus a house? What are the nuances with apartments um, and certainly the wooing? And so that's what our, our new book is really focused on and why we really appreciate you contributing to that because people people think ICS stops at, at ICS. In other words, they can spell ICS. Okay, I know what a division, I know what a group is, maybe. And that's it. Well, that doesn't tell you how to apply it. You know, that doesn't tell you how, it's like, it's like a doctor learning anatomy and physiology or a paramedic learning anatomy and physiology, but then nothing else. And that's, right. I think we did a disservice to the fire service in the 70s, 80s, we were all learning ICS for the first time. It was nothing more than recognize or uh, filling out an org chart. You know, okay, here's this org chart. Can you fill it out? Then you know ICS. Well, right. okay, yep. that is not how to apply it. It's it's memorizing. It's rote memory. In the field, yeah. when you have certain um, a certain type of building, certain types of conditions and resources coming, that drives the nuances of division versus group. And what am I doing here? What am I doing there? Maybe even a branch over here, and that. That's the stuff. That's the good stuff. That's the meat and potatoes. It only comes with lots of experience. And so um, Cal Fire is like the organization that has perfected it in, the, in that arena for Wildland and Wooey. And so structurally, I would say the, the op, the, your, your counterpart, in my humble opinion, uh, organization would be LA City Fire as far as ICS. They, they are on par with what Cal Fire does with ICS with your mission, LAC does with their mission with ICS. In other words, um, they're really good at it and they use it on everything. And that, yeah. that comes, that comes from, you know, the likes of Don Anthony and those guys back in the, you know, early days of uh, being part of that fire scope evolution and being part of those, that group that, that he was in a position to bring it to LA city and he had the force of personality to drive it. And so, you go to LA City and run along with any battalion chief. It's like running along with a Cal Fire battalion chief. It's ICS, everything, and that's there's no question about it. And but when you head when you head east <laughs> in, the, in the country, <laughs> oh, yeah. it it starts to get you know about right over the Rockies, you know, over the Sierras. Yeah. It starts to it starts to it starts to peter out, and you see different. But you see pockets of it. You know, you'll see pockets of it. Like right now, we're doing a lot of work in Florida. Florida is doing a lot of ICS training right now, which is great. You know, Texas is doing a lot. So and, and I wonder why they're having wildland fires. They're having, they're having, you know, large scale incidents. And so they're recognizing the need, but um, can you, can you talk a little bit about um, like, what are some back to the wooey? What are some tactics that, that are employed um, like bump and run or, or, you know, Firefront following, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to talk about, just to kind of give our listeners a flavor for the terminology of the tactics that might be employed during a wildland urban interface incident. Certainly, and that's that was part of when they uh, our department revamped its its WUI program on training. Um, and there are there's a number of ones I, I won't go hit every one of them, but uh, typically for a long time in California we were into that more of a prep and defend. So. Send an engine to a structure, a couple structures. They had time to prep around the structure, do all these 
different evolutions so that so that when the fire approached or hit that that could be defensible either by the company or they could leave it be, behind and it would still uh, survive. Um, and that was fine for a while, but with our changing fire conditions, that's pretty rare nowadays. Uh, not only due to the complexities of the fires, how fast moving they are, how large they are. We don't have the resources to be able to plug a fire engine at every structure or you know even a dozen structures. Um, so we've kind of had to shift our, our tactics a little bit. So probably one of the biggest ones, again, with fast moving fire explosive fires is fire front following. So you basically have fire burns through an area community. And because of it's fast moving and it's hazardous to put somebody right at the in the head of it or in the middle of it, that basically as the fire burns through, then you follow that fire front um, and do whatever suppression actions you can with what, whether your aircraft, whether you're, you know, a crew or engine company or whatever. Um, and then uh, behind you becomes what's called tactical patrol, which isn't the most glorious. It's kind of the, the overhaul or mop up, if you will, type yeah. t- situation. But what we found is where people have gotten kind of lazy about it or, or or the fact we don't have resources is unfortunately we found some circumstances early on that um, fire blew through, uh, you know, quick knockdown, but nobody came with a tactical patrol later. And unfortunately, there was, there was fire, kind of hidden fire, and it ended yeah. up taking out a structure structures. And so that was hard lessons for us to learn and how important that is as well. So I'd say the fire front following is probably the most common thing that we do uh, because, again, of these fires that we're seeing. That's pretty much the only way that you're going to keep uh, your personnel safe and the public safe the best you can. Um, so things have changed yeah. and it's, and we've got to adjust our tactics to, uh, to meet that. Perfect. And that, and that goes back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which is, you know, you're a large organization, but you have adapted, you know, I, when I, back in, when I started in the fire service in the eighties, you know, it was, it was the California you know, department of forestry and fire protection. It wasn't Cal fire. And, and there, there was, at, the, at least then from my little pea brain starting out as an 18 year old, I didn't consider Cal fire remotely structural, let alone all risk. All risk wasn't even a term we used. I mean, yeah. there was a, there was a Cal fire fire. Well, CDF, we called it CDF fire station yeah. down the street from my home on, on Rio road in Carmel. And I remember my, my, my brother who was a Monterey firefighter, his roommate was a Cal fire CDF guy. And we'd go down there and ha- hang out, but you know, it was, it was a lot different than it is now. And, and down to the uniforms, um, the culture, the training, the nomenclature, uh, everything. And so it's really made it quite impressive. I, I, our, our mission with this book, again, is to, is to really bridge that gap between what California knows and what Cal Fire knows or the LA cities that, of the world know that ICS is capable of doing on a structure fire or in the urban environment, whether it's a large commercial building, an apartment fire, a house fire, multiple houses what have you, how you can, you can scale the ICS to fit and be much more nimble and, and much more um, tactile and, and much more um, uh, agile to fit a faster moving incident or a different incident like a structure fire where you don't have visibility, you have more cumbersome uh, protective equipment, you have a much more lethal environment, it's confined. You're going into a confined space that wants to kill you and you're wearing armor that makes it hard to survive not survive, but communicate and operate in that environment. Very different than wearing, you know, grass pants, grass coat, and a and a shroud. A different animal. And so those are the nuances that we that we are talking about. And so your wisdom, but 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 what's fun is when you get to be our age and you get to have gray hair like us. You've had <laughs> enough fires under your belt where you understand the nuances 
of the structural versus the vegetation or wildland. You understand the nuances of a commercial versus a, a residential or an apartment and how the tactics in the ICS have to work together. Because um, ICS, I tell people, ICS never put a fire out, but it organized the people who did. And that's the thing is, is that, you know, and, and that's where I think Chief Brunacini with Fire Command and IMS, he brought in the, the actual, you know, structural mindset of fighting a structure fire in the context of an incident management system. And so that was the difference. And so that was a, that's the history that's kind of fun to go dive into with that whole thing. So, hey, I don't want to yeah. take up a whole lot more of your time because I know you're busy. You're clearly on duty right now. I just came from a meeting. You're on duty. I'm thankfully <laughs> didn't get called out. Uh, but anything you want to add for our listeners? Again, this is an audience all over the country and, and beyond our borders even. Um, anything you want to tell them about WUI or about what to be thinking about in, in the coming months of the summer? Yeah, certainly. So I just want to tell him what you said about ICS, not only, you know, the structure fire environment, but um, and, and you said like with Texas, Florida, it goes beyond that in, in an all risk setting once again. And and, uh, and it's amazing how we can use it. Uh, so I was on the, uh, the the mudslides in Santa Barbara. My team was deployed on that. And there's a there's a basically a, a USAR type event that, again, we we can apply ICS to that and it and it organized it well. Um, and even to the extremely non-traditional um, are the COVID response. Um, our teams were, were tasked with a variety of, of different efforts in California uh, to help organize the COVID response. And we use ICS for that as well. So it can fit within anything. And we even kind of joke about it, but organizing events. So if you have a large um, like a community event or something of that nature, we just use it so much. We're so comfortable with it that it, it's a very, it's an organizational tool and that's what it is. And you can adapt it to anything that you need to adapt it to. So um, I've seen it work, you know, Long Beach City Fire Department, they use it for the Grand Prix races. They have a full organizational structure. I mean, it, 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 it's a great tool. So if, if other agents aren't doing it, I know it's uncomfortable, it's a cultural change, but really look at it, start utilizing it, practicing it like anything else and you'll get good at it. Moving on to the the, the WUI, um, you know, this year in California, we, we got a lot of rain in the, in the Western United States. However, um, you know, we, we just can't get complacent. And that's been some of our, our, our talks uh, with our folks. And in fact, the, the meeting of Operation Man came out of, it was iterized by a, a chief again that, hey, let's not get complacent. We're about a month behind of what we normally are. But uh, in all the years I've been in the job, um, we've seen years like, oh, it was a wet winter and we get a little, eh, we're not going to have much of a fire season. And by gosh, we do. It you know maybe a little later, a little extended, but it always happens, and so we always have to be prepared for that. And and I would recommend that anybody that's uh, you know does this, especially in Western United States or other areas that have these kind of events, uh, don't let your guard down. Be prepared. Um, it, it's crazy, like I said, global warming, whatever is causing this. Things have changed in, in this wildland fire environment, and especially with the movie now with all the different. Uh, structures that are out there and, and that's you know throughout the united states and it's uh it's a challenge it makes uh the complexity of our wildland fires uh, much greater um very hazardous not only to you know the the, the populace and the public uh, but for our firefighters uh it, it has a huge amount of complexity to it and it can be a very dangerous environment so just like anything else we do you, you train in that environment you prepare for that environment and, and we're going to have a lot of great success no matter what mother nature deals us uh you know, we, we in the fire service and, and California fire service, and, you know, I don't care if you're Cal Fire or who you are, um, we're ready for it and, and we take it on and, and we embrace it. And, uh, and we do have a lot of success at the end of the day. 
Yeah, we definitely do. And it is it is about training and knowing the enemy, knowing the battlefield, knowing the tactics and weapons of war. We talk about Sun Tzu and the art of warfare. and It's it's the same stuff. Um, you you'd mentioned that uh, before we leave, and that was all perfect. So I would like to end on that, but I but it brought up something else. I'll grab you for one more thing. Um, sure. You had mentioned your type one team. Um, and um, I think you know, a type one team, some people might not know what an IMT is or what a type one team is. Um, a type five house fire, a type four commercial structure fire. Um, our methodology, our teaching in the book is going to be that, hey, look, that first alarm, that second alarm is an IMT. Literally, that's a type five IMT or a type four IMT. Whereas the definition, the roles aren't predefined. You might on a, on a structure fire as a company officer, you might be first and you might be the IC. You might be a division soup. You might be on the end of a nozzle. We don't know. Versus a type three or type one team where it's predetermined. You have a specific role, et cetera. Could you kind of speak to just so people understand what your team looks like? How many people? What are some of the roles and responsibilities and when they get triggered and stuff? Absolutely. Um, so uh, Cal Fire has six uh, incident management teams uh, that are predetermined, preset incident management teams. Um, and uh, they're, they're basically have roughly about 53 people rostered on the team. So it covers every element of the command and general staff. Um, each one of those uh, has a certain amount of, of personnel, uh, depending on it. Like in, in my operations section, uh, we have uh, three qualified operation type one operations section chiefs. As the, as the lead operations section chiefs. Um, and uh, and then the, its commander has some uh, leverage as far as with uh, ancillary positions, how, how they want to staff it up. So my incident commander, uh, <laughs> funny enough, I qualified him as an officer chief years ago, but he is very operation-minded and, and knows the value. He's really beefed up our, our, our team in the ops section. And, and it's succession planning because we're not all, you know, we eventually retire, we move on, we promote. Um, so we want to keep that healthy with that succession planning. So ours, like I said, three lead ops section chiefs. We have a, a, a trainee ops section chief. And then we carry on ours uh, four uh, branch directors um, and then a, two trainee branch directors. And then we have an air operations branch director, air support group supervisor, helibase manager. So that's kind of how our ops section is set up. Each section is a little different, whether you're finance, plans, whatever, and how they're staffed. So basically we have about 53 members on that. Preset, they have to be all typed out, um, you know, appropriately. If they're if you're qualified type one, that's it. But then we have our trainees so that we develop our personnel, um, and uh, and so those are preset teams. We we are on a, a weekly uh, standby, so we all have our day jobs. But uh, each week it rotates through from teams one through six, um, and you're up for the week, and um, so you're preset to go. And if you get uh, a launch order to to go uh, deploy then you go and we have people from all parts of the state that are on the team so the makeup is you have people from northern california central california southern california all parts of the state they all come together to the incident and then they start functioning as a team and there's a lot of qualifications and training you have to go through to get on a team uh to meet national standards and so forth so all the cal fire teams are typed and fully type one they've gone through all the necessary training and classes um they operate at a high level um and and you know like anything else one team's a little bit better than another sometimes because they happen to be fortunate enough to have people more experienced and they're with a the turnover. So it's always a roller coaster ride there. But I would say across the board, our type one teams are far none. Um, some, some of the best, if not the best in, in probably the entire world uh, can take on any challenge and, and we'll, we'll figure out a way to, to make it work. Um, just recently 
in the flooding in Central California, our team uh, was activated there to support the county of Tulare, um, and did was responsible and tasked with something I've never been tasked with as an off section is to basically build a road, a elevated road, uh, to uh, to provide an access and egress for a community that was isolated, uh, surrounded by by water. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but what you do is you figure it out. You find the right people that have the skill sets. And through, again, ICS, it gives you a, a tool to be able to organize and manage um, and, and put together a plan and, and, and make it happen. So uh, that's what's kind of unique and what's neat about our teams um, and, and what, what is out there. And the, the reasons type one, and when I teach my, my ops section students, so I say what makes you a type one operations section chief is complexity. And that's why you're type one. You should be able to deal and work with any complexity there is, the most difficult challenge there is. You're going to struggle maybe, but that that's your skill set. And and for an off section chief, what I look at is you're looking 72, 96 hours down the road with what you're dealing with, and you're trying to get ahead of that power curve because you're behind the power curve on, on that kind of incident. You're trying to get ahead of it. You're trying to plan and organize and get ahead of it. And that's that's what makes uh, our teams and, and make our, our folks type one, no matter what it is, if you're ops, plans, finance, whatever it may be. So. That's kind of the overview of what we have. And, and, uh, yeah, and we also participate in the Sacramento area is, is well aware. We have the Sacramento regional uh, type three team, and that's a great organization that has, uh, not only Cal Fire people on it, but all the local agencies in the Sacramento area. And what was also great there is what Cal Fire provided was a lot of personnel, uh, that are type one and whatever it is, they command jail staff and were able to take folks that didn't have that kind of background. And have elevated their game and and and, uh, and basically they function. They're type three team, but they truly function easily as a type two and and almost sometimes I've seen as a type one status, which is just a testament to the personnel that all the agencies have come together, who they've brought forward, and then their dedication to to train and and, and develop and become a, a really quality product. Outstanding, love it. I could do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> I hear yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I was blessed to be on a type one uh, IMT for four years. I was facilities in the rear with the gear. So I got good at building towns out of nowhere. Uh, but yep. I always, I always envied you op, ops guys. So I was like, damn, those freaking guys, those are the real guys do it. I'm just going to make sure they have food, a place to sleep and crap. Damn it. But that's, and that's a- extremely important. Yeah. If you <laughs> if don't you feed them and sleep them, then they're useless in the field. So that's, that's, that's a very important. Yeah. 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 So yeah, learned a lot. Right. Like, so, Chief Brunton, Cal Fire, thank you so much. Over 35 years on the job. Um, just a wonderful asset, a great friend, mentor, um, always there for us. Thank you. And um, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon, brother. And have a safe summer. I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andoni. Take care.